And let me pray for our time. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for men and women that you have used in your scriptures, Lord, to give us a practical view of how we are to live our lives here. And this morning we think about Paul and his words to the Philippians. And in turn, how he speaks to us about prayer and about who you are as we pray. And I do pray for this time, Lord, that we would hear from you. Uh, that we would not be afraid to engage with your scripture and to consider how you are leading us this morning. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So as I was talking about in the prayer, this summer we are talking about prayer. We're taking a practical look at uh, what prayer could look like. And last week, Pat introduced us uh, to Paul's prayer in the book of Ephesians chapter 3, where we saw Paul praying for power, for power to us, for power to us from God by our knowing about God's love for us. Not encouraging us to love more, but to realize how much it is that Jesus loves us. And so this week, I would have us turn our attention to the book of Philippians. Uh, This certainly is one of my favorite books, Philippians. I love it. It's a book of encouragement. And perhaps we'll find encouragement in this as well this morning. But in this first prayer, Paul prays for the Philippians. And I think it's interesting to think about, I have not done this so much until we jumped into this series, to look at Paul's prayers and to think how he prays might be how we could pray. And for me, I find that to be encouraging, particularly in this spot where Paul prays for the Philippians. We should know that this is a special group of people for Paul. This was the very first church he established in Europe. It's, it's what is in now uh, modern-day Greece. And when he was there, he faced quite a few trials. So he writes back to the Philippians from an interesting place, mind you. Does anyone know where Paul's at when he's writing this letter? He's in Rome, but he's also where? He's in prison. So we think about this prayer. Here is a great prayer that we can pray when we're in prison, Right? Well, that's probably not going to be us. It might be. Um, But what I want us to think about is how did Paul feel when he was in prison? He most definitely was in a spot of not knowing what the next day might hold. Imminent death was always at his doorstep. And he was uncertain of what might happen. And I would venture to say he felt alone. He felt isolated. He felt uncertain. Has that ever been something that you have felt? Have you ever found yourself in a hard time where you really might not know what to pray? Now, let's get, let's get this straight. When I'm in a hard time, what do I pray? Please make a stop, Lord. And that's a good prayer. Please keep praying those things. Please make a stop. Get me out of this, Lord. I don't like where I'm at. But what about when that prayer is not answered in the way or in the time that we want to have that prayer answered. We start to feel perhaps, as Paul felt, uncertain, afraid, not knowing what the next day might hold. Maybe it's something in the season of life that we're facing into sickness, we're facing into the loss we can acutely remember. Maybe it's facing into despair of something at work, worry, fear. Maybe it's even in the middle of the night when we cannot sleep. 
here this morning, we have a prayer for hard times. And uh, what I want us to think about is what can we say to God in a prayer in these hard times? What might we say to God along with, get me out of here, Lord, make it stop. What else could we say to God? What might we want to say to those we love the most? What do we want them to know? And how might this prayer speak to our own hearts in the midst of that hard time? That's kind of what we're going to hear and read about what Paul's doing in this passage. And he's going to pray what I've kind of thought about three types of prayers here. He's going to pray a prayer of thanksgiving for God's work. He's going to pray a prayer of supplication for God to work. And then he's going to pray a prayer of dependence upon God's work. Okay? So let's check out the scripture and see, first of all, Paul's prayer of thanksgiving for how God has worked. And we see that in verse 3. Check that out with me now. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. So the first thing Paul thanks God for is that God has worked in the lives of the Philippians. He thanks them for the Philippians. And how has he been at work in the lives of the Philippians? We read about that in verse 5. Look at verse 5. He says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. How have they been in partnership with Paul in the gospel? In verse 7, it tells us. It says, it's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my hearts, for you are all partakers with me of grace. The first aspect of how these Philippians are in partnership with Paul is that they have experienced the wonderful grace of Jesus, greater than all of our sin. They, too, are believers in Jesus. They are Paul's brothers. He even says it later in the letter in verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, these are his brothers. These are his sisters. And he is thanking God that he has brought them in to the kingdom of Narnia. All right. They've gone through the wardrobe to see the amazing landscape, the amazing perspective that we get as we come as believers in Jesus. And here are his fellow brothers and sisters. He's thanking God for it. And the second aspect of what he thanks God for in their partnership, the work of God, is again in verse 7. If you are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For 10 years, these Philippians have supported Paul in his ministry. And whether he's in prison or if he's without, outside doing ministry, they have had his back. And he's especially thanking them because they know who Paul is. <laughs> do, do we know who Paul is? Who he was? He was a guy who went out and sought to put Christians to death. They knew his backstory. And all the same, they knew the story that God was writing in Paul's life. And they supported that story. And Paul's saying, oh my goodness, thank you so much for supporting me in imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. I was um, out of college. I was working in a church uh, in, in Dallas. And I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do next. I did know that I wanted to come back to Indianapolis because there was, I really had a really favorite physician assistant student who went to Butler University and I kind of wanted to be in the same city as she was, all right? I had a question to ask her. So I got back from Denton, Texas to Indianapolis and I didn't have a job, but I was in the right city, right? That's good. But I didn't know what I was gonna do. And I had been working at a church there and, and 
I didn't have any experience in this, but my parents had started uh, working, uh, at, uh, volunteering on Young Life Committee. And they said, you know what? You should check out Young Life. And I had some youth ministry experience. So what did I do in that day and age in 1999? I pull out the yellow pages. Right? And that's something like your phone today, right? Um, so I looked in the yellow page, Young Life Indianapolis. And I dialed it up and someone answered it, and it was my friend Jack. And I said, this is going to sound crazy, but I think I'm looking for a job and I want to know if you might have one. <laughs> what do you think he did? Well, uh, you know, nice to meet you. Let's, you might want to check out these other things. Okay, great. It's kind of what we hope would happen for someone to call up in a job like that with Young Life. But two days later, I got a call from my friend Jack. He said, you know what, why don't you come in for an interview? And that started five years of my being on staff with Young Life. Amazing miracle. I mean, you just don't dial up the yellow pages and get a good job. But God had that job for me. Now, one thing about that job that was really, really hard was that we raised our own support. And so I joined a team of a Young Life committee that together we raised this budget that I can't even, man, it was so big. But every year we raise that budget. Why? Because there are hundreds and hundreds of people who supported that ministry. And I can't tell you how good that felt to know that I wasn't alone in that ministry, going to the high school, telling kids about Jesus, taking them to camp, being goofy, having a great time. But God had used these other people in, to support the ministry that we were a part of. It was great. And so Paul here is thanking the Philippians for their support of the ministry. What's he doing, folks? He's thanking God for his work. He thanks them for their partnership in the gospel, but he does one more thing about God's work. Don't miss this. One of my favorite verses in scripture. He thanks God that he is at work in the lives of his brothers and sisters. Look at it in verse six. He says, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. In the situation in which Paul finds himself, he wants to thank God that he is up to something in the lives of the Philippians, that he's not going to give up on them, that what he has began, he's, what he's begun, he's going to bring it to fruition until the day of Christ Jesus. So God is not giving up on these people, and nor is God giving up on you. Even though you perhaps may feel, as I have felt, that you're not making any progress in your faith journey, God is up to something in your life. And Paul, in this hard time, he's thanking God for his work, that he is at work in their lives. And interestingly here, Paul, in this hard time, in this time of uncertainty, facing imminent death, what does he find in praying this prayer of thanksgiving? Do you see it in verse 4? Always in every prayer of mine for all, making my prayer with joy. There is joy here, even in this time of uncertainty for Paul. Is this formulaic for us today as we would pray this prayer? I don't know. When we face into the despair and hardship, is it hard to have joy? Oh, yeah. But is there joy even in the midst of the hardest time, as, the, as, as we have this amazing perspective of outside of our situation into a life of eternity? Yeah. As a pastor, the, the piece of advice that I myself have found the most encouragement is, is this. 
is gonna be okay, even when it's not okay. It's gonna be okay, even when it's not okay. And the reason I say that is because there is a joy that no one or no thing can take away, a joy that sits outside the hurt and the injustice and the, the brokenness of this world because there's something beyond this world that I have and we can set our eyes upon. Doesn't mean we live all there and not here, but means we live here with a firm foundation, having the opportunity to find joy even in the midst of hard times. So Paul here, what a wonderful prayer. I thank God for his work. Hey, what are the, maybe something about what Paul's prayed here is something we can thank God for, how he works. Maybe in our dark spot, we can thank God for how he's worked. Um, something exactly what Paul's prayed. But I want you to think about this week is, as you pray, not knowing what to say sometimes. Hey, God, I want to thank you for how you've worked in this way. So would you think about this week how God is at work? Maybe how Paul saw him at work and maybe how he's at work in your lives. Okay. The second thing I want to look at today is how Paul makes this prayer of supplication. Okay. So supplication, as fancy Nancy would say... It's a fancy word for asking God for something. We read this book called Fancy Nancy. I really liked it. So, so supplication is a fancy way of asking God for something. And so Paul here is asking God for something. And what he's asking, uh, we can see about that. Uh, where is it? In, in verse 9. And, his, and it is my prayer. He's asking that they would be ready. He wants the Philippians to be ready. Ready for what? Look at verse 10. He wants them to be ready for the day of Christ. The day when Jesus would return. When a day that would be marked by no more death, no more dying, no more tears, no more pain. A day that would be marked by new heavens and a new earth and a world without sin. Paul wants these Philippians to be ready for that day. It's also going to be a day when those who... Paul calls the saints of Philippi, those who are in Christ Jesus. It's a day in which they will be, verse 10, pure and blameless. It's also a day in that day when they will be filled with the fruit of righteousness, verse 10. And how do those things come to be pure and blameless, to be filled with the fruit of righteousness? It comes by their being able to approve that which is excellent. You see how we're working our way backwards in the text here? That they would be ready for the day of the Lord. That they would be pure and blameless. That they would be filled with righteousness. How will that happen? If they were able to prove that which is excellent. And why does Paul pray this fancy Nancy word of supplication? Why does he ask God for help? It's hard. It's hard to know what's most excellent. That is not easy. Have have you faced into a situation which you didn't know what to do? I have. It's not easy. So we need God's help. We need to have help in making hard decisions, uh, all good decisions, but we need to, to know how it is to go. And that's why Paul is praying this prayer for God to work in the lives of the Philippians so that they could make wise decisions, approve what is excellent. Be found pure and blameless. Be filled with righteousness so they might be ready. And how is it that Paul prays for them to be ready? It's not by way of 401ks or 529s or degrees on the wall or social media influence. It's not by that. 
None of that being bad in and of itself, but he prays this, how they are to be made ready. Verse 9. And it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. He prays that all this might happen by way of an abounding love. A love that we shake up the soda can and we open it up, it's overflowing, abounding more and more and more. Present tense, abounding, a growing love. A love for whom? Well, the text doesn't really say, but I think it's a love for God. It's a love for others. And it's a love that comes by way of two things here in our text. It comes by way of knowledge and all discernment. Knowledge, acquiring information. Discernment, using that information well. Knowledge of whom? Knowledge of Jesus. And what about Jesus? Knowledge of his love that he had for the Philippians, that he had for Paul, that he has for you. And knowing how to discern that love well, of how to live your life in and through that love. That's what Paul's praying for. Do you see how all that comes from the love that leads to ability to prove that which is excellent, that we might be found pure and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness, ready for the day of Christ's return? That's what Paul's praying here, a prayer of supplication for God to work. Okay? So I want us to think this week, maybe it's something that Paul prays here specifically in these verses of how he's praying for God to work. How could we pray for God to work in our lives? Maybe, as I said, it's, Lord, increase my love. Increase my love by having me know and understand your love for me. Or maybe it's another way that you would like to see God work in your life. That's what I'd like for you to think about this week. How can you pray a prayer of supplication for God to work in your life? I I told you earlier, um, on to the last point. Let's do it, all right? I told you earlier, I I really like Philippians. I'm really encouraged by this letter. Joy is all over the place. It's a word that's said over and over and over again. And as I think about how Paul prays here, I I am encouraged. But if I gotta be honest, I'm also discouraged. I feel empowered, but I feel powerless. I feel hopeful, but yet I, I sometimes feel shame and guilt when I read this letter, particularly when I see this wonderful example of how this man of God prayed, because I don't pray like this. And I feel powerless to pray like this. So that leads me into that last point. And the last point is this. Don't miss it. Paul prays a prayer of dependence upon the work of God, upon the work of Jesus. And where do we see this in the text? We see this most definitely as he has these notes of utter dependence upon God's work. We see it in verse 11. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. That is dependence. What is dependence? It's where we are totally relying on something. Um, when I worked at this summer camp, um, we had these guys who taught climbing, they're, they're the climbing instructors, and they had the coolest t-shirt. And the t-shirt had a guy climbing on, on a mountain, holding onto the belay rope and, and climbing the mountain. And he said this, faith isn't faith until it's all you're holding on to. 
That is dependence. And so Paul here is totally depending upon God's work here in our passage. Pure and blameless, that's overwhelming. Filled with the fruit of righteousness, oh yeah, that's overwhelming. But it comes not through me, not through my doing it right or not doing it in, in, a, in a wrong way. It comes through Jesus Christ. So Paul tells us about it, but this is super cool. He also shows this to us in verse eight. Check out verse eight. He says this, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul is a great guy. He's pretty amazing. But I think there's more than him just being amazing going on in this passage. Here's not just a guy who's able to love like this or pray like this. Here's a guy who loves in a very particular way. He loves because he's first been loved. John tells us we love because God first loved us. Paul is loving because he's been loved by Jesus, right? He's loving in return for how he's received love from Jesus. We love because he first loved us. We loved, it's a kid's song, all right? Does anybody know that song? I love that, okay, get ready. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. We love. We love, we love, because he first loved us. <laughs> Children's ministry, all right? And I hope that gets stuck in your head. And it did mine. We, I think we did that like 20 years ago, and it's still stuck in my head. Paul loves in that way because he's been loved. Verse 8, it's right there. But it's more than just loving in response to being loved. It's loving because he is taking a love in to share with others. Paul has the character of love because there is a character in Paul who is loving. If you find yourself as a brother or sister in Christ, we love not just from our own capacity love, but we love with the affection of Christ Jesus. He's not just sharing his love for them, but he's sharing Christ's love for them. It's Christ's love for them that he's expressing. Galatians 2 says this, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul has his prayer of dependence that I can only do these things because of Jesus. And I can only do these things through Jesus. And it's, that's how it happens. So again, this week, what is your prayer of dependence? How are you leaning actively into Jesus and, and how he is empowering you to love? My, how might Jesus be literally loving through you? Would, would you pray with me for that in your prayer of dependence? So in conclusion, this is a, a wonderful prayer for our times to know what we might say along with get me out of the situation. But Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you're at work, even in this hard situation. Lord, but we pray also that you would continue to work, that you would be at work in uh, this situation, that you would bring about a new love. 
And then we also pray a prayer of dependence in these times, counting on the work that God has done. And what is Paul and our ultimate motive for this to happen? It's that God will be glorified and praised. And that's how he ends this passage. It says, to the glory and praise of God. And we can know that God will be glorified and praised because this is the same God who has been glorified and praised because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So this is something that will happen and that God will be glorified and praised. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for um, this passage. We thank you, Lord, that you are at work in our lives, even in the hard times. We thank you for this example that Paul has given us, Lord, that he is able to love because you first loved him. Lord, might we experience that today? And might we be encouraged and empowered and given hope, Lord, for how you use us, broken people, to bring wholeness and restoration in a wonderful vista of who you are in our lives and who you could be in the lives of others. Thanks again for Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.